the co-founder of Apple, the late Steve Jobs, warned against becoming trapped by the results of other people's thinking. We all want our individual legacies to be positive, leaving the world a better place for our being in it. Yet, we are arguably failing to ensure each generation leaves a fair and just inheritance behind it, especially when it comes to the environment. Just Stop Oil, Extinction Rebellion, are these groups an extreme manifestation of Steve Jobs' warning, the vehement refusal of younger generations to be trapped by the consequences of past thinking? However, one cannot be trapped in a future you had an equal hand in creating, and the Royal Norfolk Agricultural Association is determined to ensure the voices of the county's younger generations are heard. So much so that it was a cornerstone of June 2023's Royal Norfolk show when the RNAA commissioned a short film gathering the opinions of young showgoers on the first day. Here's what they said. I think in the future, um, I would hope to see some, like, some more sustainable agricultural practices, especially in sort of the meat industry, because it has a rather heavy impact on carbon emissions. So I think it would be a good idea to improve on those. Oh, less wastage, I guess, and like everyone gets some sort of food and everything works out in a way that nobody's like struggling to buy food. Just sustainable and stuff like that. Oh, I think probably uh, investing in sort of more technology and um, sort of helping to keep up because obviously we're very uh, heavy on farmers and uh, keen on farming so using the use of new technology to assist that and to keep Norfolk as an important uh, region in the country for uh, produce. Just less carbon emissions being brought out and just like more, like more sort of, like less meat being like produced and stuff. Just for it to like improve and get to a point where like we're basically as sustainable and as we can be and working towards the best environment that we can. My hopes is that people invest more into local business and that local farming becomes more popular. I think we need to invest more in technology but also keep the old methods because I think they're very effective. You heard there from Robert, Tegan, Monty, Mia, Noah, Lauren and Thomas. And their views were shared with an audience of officials, politicians and decision makers on the second day of the show. After the event, I asked Director of Conservation at the Holcombe Estate, Jake Fines, to reflect on the film and share his thoughts. I'm encouraged but I'm slightly nervous because... It's our generations, it's the 40 plus, which are influencing their thinking. Yeah. 
and some of the things that are, you know, spur of the moment, populist for a time, and actually are then found to be flawed uh, in, in what we're doing, actually they are picking up on some of that. I was really interesting that meat reduction came out again and again and again. I thought the discussion on AI, that there was nervousness within the panel of AI, as much as we shared nervousness, diversity and inclusion didn't feel a part of it where we know that agriculture is one of the least diverse and included industries alongside conservation so a lot of work to do there although some of the voices within the room were from from more diverse backgrounds so there were some difficult questions there and trying to don't expect them to be able to provide the answer for everything i don't think we should expect them but we should make them feel like they are their voices are heard as, as, as i said at the start yes, we just, conversation yeah it just uh, you know and for us to listen we don't do enough listening because we are that we are the generation that has to instigate the start of the change we've had you know we've got all of these issues you know they're, 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 you can i can you know health and uh, biodiversity and sustainability fossil fuels you know there's just there's masses to deal with um it is going to cost money but actually if we invest in the future you know some education knowledge exchange you know i think that that for me is uh, is really key and this what is more important than anything is this isn't just a one-off kind of Norfolk show, have a moment, get them to hear their voices no. and nothing else. It needs to have, it needs to be accelerated and get traction. Get, get, you know, go to all of these Norfolk rural schools, get their opinion, you know, and get different schools to speak to one another, you know, because they will, you know, as well as the urban population of Norfolk, don't forget them because we're always going to get we're always going to get the rural schools, and then we forget how many inner city schools and their opinions, and understand where their food comes from. You know, a lot of the work the Country Trust does, uh, and it's, it's deeply worrying about uh, the the lack of understanding of where of how a potato is grown, how a carrot is grown, what impact that has on the environment, and uh, and what choices individuals and the young people can make and how they can influence their parents because actually if their parents are influenced we start to enact change and that you know as a as a as my memory of a child of the food that was put on the table and how I understood how that was provided for and how that was grown actually we've lost that connect connectivity within yes. our with it you know from food to fork or from tab table to field there's a there's a lack of there's a real lack of knowledge you know, eight with over 90 percent of people in living in urban areas we uh, uh historically everyone knew a farmer or had a relation my uncle was a farmer or my cousin was a farmer we've lost all that that connectivity between the the the, the greater population and the rural community has been lost and we need to reconnect that that's really key my thanks to Jake Fines, and especially to Robert, Tegan, Monty, Mia, Noah, Lauren and Thomas. Having collected these opinions and heard from young leaders in the agricultural sector, the RNAA is launching a new initiative, Norfolk Voices for Norfolk's Future, to address, insofar as it can, the concerns we heard expressed in our six Vox Pops. Emily Norton, an RNAA trustee charged with launching Norfolk Voices for Norfolk's Future and who led the Royal Norfolk Show event, met with me on a very wet Monday afternoon in Norwich to tell me more about the genesis of the initiative. Emily Norton, 
Yes. Royal Norfolk Agricultural Association, welcome to Eastern Promise. Uh, we are here in, in the Waterstones Cup in the centre of Norwich because we don't trust the weather not to, not to uh, ruin an outdoor recording session. But you were in the chair for the Norfolk Voices, Norfolk's Future event at the very recent Royal Norfolk show. Just can you talk us through the genesis of that event and where, where, from your point of view particularly, that all came from. Okay, so um, thank you very much for inviting me here today. You're very welcome. With a cup of tea. Um, the Royal Norfolk Agricultural Association, I've just joined as a trustee, so very recently, <clears throat> and um, I think they have, have rightly done a bit of navel-gazing, and a lot of the agricultural associations have been in a similar place in being an organisation that represents tradition and history and kind of that kind of profound depth and knowledge and understanding of, of a sector like farming whilst understanding that, you know, the, the future is going to be different. Everything within the sector is changing so much with technology and skills and different people coming into the industry to understand that it's really important that they keep engaging, they keep understanding how things are differing going forwards. So any organisation like an agricultural association has this power to bring different organisations together, different voices together. And that was the piece of work that the RNAA had undertaken, was to understand the power of being a convener. Yes. Now, I think it's particularly important that those convening voices don't just sort of sit within silos. Um, at, at local level, the decisions we're making about farming and land use are massively impacted by all sorts of other things that are also dealt with at local level. But within farming, our sort of lords and masters tend to be central government. But when it comes to, say, water or planning um, or um, community engagement, lots of different things, they're all local issues. And so the really interesting question in my mind, and I think where I was really keen to push this organisation, this, this particular event towards, was saying, um, how do we convene more local voices that are all interested in the viability of the future of the sector in a way that brings those voices together? So to make sure that you know the voice of farming is heard not because it's dealt with by deference central government but because it has that strong local voice locally mm. that is then engaging in, in all these different levels of conversation about the vibrancy of the sector here now that's all very good and great and it could just be another talking shop right i also have this thing <laughs> this amazing it's really nerdy but this amazing piece of legislation that exists in wales called the Wellbeing of future generations act which is incredible at bringing together disparate voices, breaking down all those kind of decision-making silos that you get across councils and fire authorities and all those different kind of local bodies that exist to say, how will we all coming together to make the best choices about our place, the place that we are from, whilst taking the needs of the future into account? And, and I think that is so important in my mind. If you bring together those disparate voices planners you know we mentioned them all before and put them in a room they'll all just generally point out the problems that we all know exist and um, the really interesting bit comes when you say how is this meeting the needs of the future how do you get outside your own sort of sphere of concern and the immediate problems that are facing you and your job and mm -hmm. say what do we need to do to make things better for the future so that was the challenge but without that kind of i guess kind of legislative structure whatever it might be the idea came to be well let's ask the youth the future mm. of our industry and the future of our county, what they think we could be doing in order to make food and farming industry better for the future. So a slightly convoluted story of having that powerful central voice that the RNAA can be with understanding that all of these new influences are impacting on agriculture now that we've left the common agricultural policy plus, in my opinion, this really important idea of engaging future voices. You made me think of a very interesting example that I've raised a couple of times on the podcast, which is 
when it comes to planning, a lot of the de democratic elements of that are focused around, especially the representative elements, the people who already have a well-established stake in a community. Yeah. Nobody in the planning process or very, speaks for the future generation that yeah. says, actually, we want to be part of this place. Yeah. We don't have a, a home here yet, but yeah. we hope we will. Yeah. And, you know, without going to things like the housing stock's not turning over fast enough, and if we want, we want to keep the yeah. shop and, the, you know, the village hall, and we want to keep the church and the parish church and so on and so forth, then we have to be part of that decision. Yeah. And nobody speaks for them. And I think what's really creditable about what you're doing is that you're, gonna, you're saying... We want to hear your voice. We yep. don't want to speak for you. Yep. We want to hear you speak. Yeah. So the way that I described that was that this was the opportunity for those who were in those positions of power to listen up. Yeah. And so that process of listening up, I think, is so important. It annoys me intensely when senior figures across any sector say we need to educate, to educate consumers. We need to educate those below us. We need to educate the youth of tomorrow. Because all that's really doing is kind of transferring those kind of existing embedded biases and yeah. wealth dynamics and whatever it might be upon the next generation and not accepting that the next generation might actually want to do things differently. Now, you layer on everything that we know about climate crisis, the environmental crisis, um, the water crisis, you know, all of these different levels of health and inequality that we know are going on. And then you say, yeah, let's ask the same people what they think, <laughs> yes. you know. The people who've been doing it so badly wrong for the last 25 years but are now embedded in positions of power. And you're going to get exactly the same answers, right? There's no innovation there at all. So I think one of the most interesting things that came out of the event for me was maybe still that young people are not confident enough to innovate and to really think about doing things differently. And actually, if we were teaching our young people to be more innovative and, and to think about different structures, how we might produce different outcomes yeah. long term. How do you free uh, a generation to think differently with the tools of the generation before them? And how do you encourage them to develop your own, their own tools and say, ignore what we did, never mind that. What do you, what do you want to do? What are, what's in your hands? What are the levers you can pull or get us to pull for you? And, yeah. it, it, and what you're describing, and I come over this in the podcast so often, from the UEA Civic Programme to the various sort of colleges in Cambridge, I, I could dance a name, we could sit here all day and I could pick names out for Cambridge, but it's leadership. Yep. And it's how do you free these people up to lead and, and, and say, we need to follow yeah. their lead to a certain so degree So I now. think that's an interesting thing. And um, <clears throat> when, you, when you reflect on kind of who's in power at the moment, there, there is a group who are in power for themselves and they say, I'm, you know, I have my tribe and they're following me and it might be a really tiny subset of the population, but you still feel that you know, you're, you're speaking for, for a group of people. And, and leaders who actually empower other people to be the best versions of themselves that they can be. Absolutely. And I think that being in leadership to help other people is really rare but more of what we need. So to say, you're like, yes, how do I understand from where I am what power, what tools I have available to me to help other people achieve what they want to achieve for themselves? And I think, yeah, you're right. You know, at the moment, just the nature of, uh, you know, kind of 24-7 news or whatever it might be, we tend to get the ones who shout the loudest, who've got the thickest mm. skin, who kind of are prepared to kind of, you know, just charge through and make yeah. a difference and everyone's like oh well I'm terrified of them yeah. but you know they got into a position of power and how do we stop that how do we stop those kind of voices with something more moderate more balanced that's more inclusive right yeah. it's challenging I mean and, and it's often on those sort of the news pro it's, it's whoever makes the most 
interesting, yeah. the most exciting to watch piece of news. Not necessarily the most enlightening. You know, we want the heat, not the light. I mean, at the end of the on Friday of this week, we're going to have any questions here in Norwich. So, you know, that's that's perhaps a hope. I'm hopeful that that will be a, a slightly more uh, genteel and refined encounter. Probably but, not. Uh, probably not, no. Um, but uh, development, we shall see. But in terms of what happens now that the event took place, I mean, I think you, you collected up a lot of sort of written, written yeah. thoughts. Was there anything that came through? Because you, you basically, a lot of cards and pens were distributed, postcards and pens, and a lot collected back in. So have you had a chance to sort of go through and see what themes are coming out of it? Not yet. However, mm. um, there is a real push to make sure that we don't lose the momentum of the event. So it was really impactful. Had great coverage in the press. Obviously, even covering um, uh, covering it in this in this podcast is mm. you know an amazing opportunity to really kind of continue to talk about those kind of issues. But it's it's very synergistic with a lot of the things that the Royal Norfolk Aquaculture Association is doing, uh, particularly in terms of education um, and showing people um, where the opportunities in aquaculture might be. And I think if anything. It's it's to make sure that we keep shining a light back on um, the RNAA itself, but also those other institutions around to say, you know, hang on a minute, the next generation voices are telling us this. How are you actually living up to those values of environmental sustainability or fairness or um, uh, embedding nature within your kind of business procurement practices and actually mm. saying, well, hang on a minute. If we can influence and say this is, you know, we, we as an organisation, the Royal Norfolk Agricultural Association as an organisation can stand up for those principles, convene these voices locally, but advocate out and make sure we're not just in the role of educator in the sense of talking down to people, but helping those voices be amplified so they can continue to talk up and other people can listen up, and then I think we'll be doing something really powerful. So that's what I hope. Yeah. In the short term, it might just be a paper and a summary. So the voices that you recorded out in the showground were fantastic and really gave that idea that young yeah. people do care passionately and are well-educated on this stuff. They do really were. They really were. There was so much uh, sort of focus on the environment and focus on the future of farming and food yep. as well, which, which is apt. Uh, and I have to say, I didn't necessarily go fishing for that, in fact, I got more, more far for, for every one kid, that, one young person that appeared on that. About uh, seven or eight ran away <laughs> at speed. But uh, for those voices that did did partake, it was fantastic to see sort of the environment and the future future of uh, agriculture and agrotech. Yeah. Uh, come so to, so much to the fore. Which is such an interesting point that actually there was that real balance between technology and environmental sustainability. Mm. It wasn't simply, okay, you know, how do we preserve nature? And it's all about the birds and the bees. It was very much this idea that we need to invest in technology and keep understanding how technology can do things better for yeah. us. And I think, again, as an intergenerational thing, younger generations have only ever grown up with technology. They only ever understand, like, how... Um, how technology can make life easier. Um, so rather than, you know, having to explain to people how to download data into an app and it all being very, very boring and clunky for an older generation, you know, our, our younger generation are going to expect this stuff to happen by default. So, mm. you know, how, how are we innovating? How are we making sure that our, our sort of our systems around the industry continue to keep up with those changing expectations to be able to say data technology can make these things so much easier and nicer where are we making sure that investment continues to happen to really challenge mm. our, our kind of our limiting beliefs on how far this stuff yes. can go? I've been slightly bemused by the determination that certainly the the manpower issues, the, uh, yeah. the person issues, will be solved, particularly in agriculture, but not only in agriculture, if you throw enough money at the people 
to do it, which I think on the one sense indicates a really poor way of thinking about our young people. It's a yep. poor impression of our young people that they think all, all they need is enough money and then they'll do anything like... It kind of negates the fact that, hang on, they may have their own hopes and dreams. You can't just expect them to do what you think is politically convenient because you've thrown enough money at them. And two, hang on, technology is more likely to fill the gap than a human being. So yep. let's look at that and let's find how we can put really cl imaginative, clever young people to use. Yeah to solve some of the more intractable problems that a robot can't. Yeah. And, and, and get, get, more, get more that way, because I, I, I always used to... Um, remember somebody it, way, way back was uh, looking for visas for people to come over to the UK for turkey sexes yeah. in Vietnam. Yeah. And let's just pay young people enough money. To get yeah. And I just sat there thinking to myself, when I was a, 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 a nipper... I, cannot, I wanted to be very, variously a firefighter uh, and, a, and a, a fighter pilot. Yep. And um, you would not have got me to consider a future sexing turkeys for all the team China. So why would our young people today I know. And this is, this is the point as well, right? When you talked about those kind of who's got the power at the moment. Mm. And at the moment, the, the language is all around... It's for their convenience. It's for their convenience. We've got the power. We've got the business. We need to employ people. And we're only going to talk about um, those structures in the context of employing more people and mm. employment is a very sort of you know specific role um but actually the people of next generation may not want to be employed they may want to run their own businesses yeah. they may want to innovate they may want just to be able to farm on it on a, on a small holder level they may want to work in a community in a non-profit fashion you know we're not kind of innovating those structures enough it's very much kind of the, the conversation and that's a really good example of one where it's the people with power who are asking uh, for the same thing mm. all of the time. And it gets really boring listening to it. Yeah. You, you mentioned the convening power of the Royal North Agricultural Association. And that is so important because it sits, the RNAA, in this kind of Venn diagram of organisations where that, particularly where the showground is physically... Uh, you can't see this, listeners, but I'm actually gesticulating with my hands to show where it's sitting uh, specifically. Um where you've got this, the New Food Enterprise Park, uh -huh. you've got the Sainsbury Laboratory and the John Innes Centre, um, you've got uh, a new food uh, development cluster yep. that's looking at food tech and all these... Uh, you know, you've got yep. the Quadrum Institute, where kitchens on every floor, you know, yep. uh, to test things, to make sure... So you've got all that farming and food, in, and you've got Agritech Eve with Belinda Clark as well. All these Venn circles of the Venn diagram, and uh -huh. at the centre is pretty much the RNAA. Yeah. And what an incredible convening voice you must have, and it's how do you decide then, going forward with this stack of postcards and these young voices that you really want to take on their terms, not the older generations, how do you decide to use that convening power next? It's an interesting question. Um, I think because... Um, there has been a tendency, uh, I, I guess, just within the funding structures that have existed around the industry, that you kind of you build a building and they shall come. So mm. you know, we'll put all of these people together in a building, and then productive stuff will happen. You know, it's, it's not dissimilar to the idea of a city. You get kind of lots of people together, and then conversations will spark, and those water cooler moments will happen. Yeah. Um, the nature of rurality is that it's a bit trickier than that. You know, you are dissipated across a whole um, footprint of county, you know, so as much as you are sort of gesticulating a sort of a, a, a central hub within that, um, you know, the industry itself is distributed over a big area. And so actually that, that hub in the middle can be really important 
geographically, physically, mm. as a presence, but actually um, the, the work that I've done on this before um, really shows that it's, it's, it's only a little bit about the building. The building indicates a commitment. Yes. What's really important is the translators. It's the people who understand two sides of the story or the two sides of language, technical language, enough to be able to build the connections between. So what technology is doing, you know, pick artificial intelligence, you know, the, 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 the people working within that sector are so brilliant, you know, and they might be sort of looking at the problems and the applications in isolation. And the people within farming are so brilliant and they're looking at their problems and, you know, challenges in isolation. And, and, you know, you put a farmer and, a, and an AI mm -hmm. technologist in a room together, they won't be talking the same language. They might both be talking English, but they yeah. won't be using the same kind of, like, knowledge or yeah. perceptions or, you know. So having those facilitators that go between to say, these are the problems here, and you go up here and you say, oh, these, this is how you can apply this particular innovation to this particular problem. And that's where the really good cross-pollination mm. comes from. It's from having those people who understand both. Now, that's what I think something like the RNAA can do really well. It, it's sort of understanding in being a convener. It doesn't have to be the expert in everything. It's really about bringing these parts of the puzzle together. And there are some others that are working around our industry who are brilliant in this role. We champion them. How can we kind of, again, recognise where the strengths of the industry are? How can we identify where some of the gaps are and kind of, you know, use that best practice? And so I think... There's a real kind of a spiritual convening almost, you know, kind yeah. of going, this is what we believe in and we believe in better. We, we understand the scale of Norfolk agriculture. This is not some kind of local food economy where we're all selling each other pasties, right? You know, this, this, is, this is industrial scale, brilliant, progressive, mm. sustainable farming with some really big customers upstream and downstream of us. You know, yeah. how do you then get this amazing technology that's happening, these amazing innovations are happening to, to work at field scale to, to sort of solve some of the challenges that we've got? So, you know, just getting that, and the RNAA really get that, you know, that's where I think that convening power can come from. Well, absolutely right. And uh, Emily Norton, thank you very much for talking to me today. Eastern Promise is absolutely four square behind anything that, that gets those conversations going in an imaginative, impassioned and safe space. Really look forward to seeing what comes of it. Really happy to sort of underline our support for it. And thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a pleasure. You're really welcome. Eastern Promise wholeheartedly endorses the RNAA's initiative and looks forward to doing the same for other initiatives across the region on similar lines. I'm really excited to see how the Royal Norfolk Agricultural Association looks to work with its partners to grow this initiative and bring in as many young voices as possible to shape the future of the county. <laughs>